You're listening to Glowing Older, the podcast that goes deep with the experts shaping senior living. A big thank you to our Season 4 sponsor, TSO Life, Senior Living's first business intelligence platform that simplifies data collection, seamlessly provides resident and lead insights, while creating more meaningful engagement and connections. Hello and welcome to the Glowing Older podcast, where we interview experts on healthy aging and innovation in senior living. I'm your host, Nancy Griffin, and I'm so pleased to be here today with Chip Conley, New York Times bestselling author, strategic advisor to Airbnb, and founder of Joie de Vivre Hospitality and Modern Elder Academy. Welcome to the program, Chip. It's great to be with you, Nancy. Thank you. Well, thank you. Uh, You're pretty much a household name with uh, our listeners, but I was wondering (laughs) (laughs) if you could start and tell us a little bit about your background and in particular, how you started focusing on helping modern elders live their best lives. So I had spent four years at Airbnb in my mid-50s, where they started to call me the modern elder. I was a, um, a senior executive and the mentor to the CEO, but I also reported to him and he was 21 years younger than than me. And they called me the modern elder because I was twice the age of the average employee there. And they told me that I was as curious as I was wise. And I really appreciated that because I am sort of curious by nature. And as I get older, yes, I hopefully am wise as well, but the curiosity doesn't doesn't go away. And so as, uh, as I left the company after doing four lovely years there, Um, and I became an advisor to the company, I decided I wanted to explore what it meant to be a modern elder in society. And I wrote a book called Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. And that's when I started thinking about the Modern Elder Academy. And tell us a little bit about the MEA and where you started, which I see is in Baja, Mexico, and uh, where you are today. Yeah. So um, I had a home in southern Baja on the Pacific Ocean on the beach an hour north of Cabo San Lucas. And I decided, well, that's where I was going to write my book. And while I was here, that's when I came up with the idea of MEA. So we created the campus all around my home, (laughs) which in retrospect probably wasn't the wisest idea because (laughs) it meant I'm on campus all the time. And we've had a thousand uh, people from 24 countries come through our program. So it's like, I get to know everybody, which is sort of fun. And then also I need some privacy too. But um, we started here and we've been doing it for three years and it's been very successful. And so we have now said, okay, let's expand into the United States. Um, We've bought a 2,600 acre ranch outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, And we will be doing a uh, a modern elder academy an MEA regenerative community there where we'll have two workshop centers there on the same campus. um, So we can do two workshops simultaneously as well as a regenerative farm and ranch, which is sort of like sustainability taken three steps or organic taken three steps further. And then um, a clubhouse and 30 homes. Uh, so that's, um, that's what we're doing. And we're, we're looking at more locations in the United States as well. And tell me a little bit about the content. I'm so excited because I'm registered for the first ever virtual MEA. <laughs> yes, this Saturday, a couple, uh, three days from now. Uh, well, um, so or three days from when we're actually doing our, our, our recording. Um, yeah, the, 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 the key message that we have for our 
our alums and for the people who come as students is um, that I'd say three things. Number one is um, how do we help shift your mindset on aging? Um, because quite often people really underestimate how much uh, a life they have ahead of them. Um, and so how do you shift that mindset? Secondly, how do you learn what you have developed in your life that's a mastery or some wisdom? And how do you go out and repurpose that in the world? Not just in the workplace, but just in life and with people who are younger than you. And how do you learn from the younger people? How do you learn to mutually mentor each other? So that is a, that's a key learning um, as well. And I, I'd say the third one it really speaks to this idea of um, how do we help people through transitions? And that's really what the course that you're going to be doing, uh, the online course. Um, it's, there's a roadmap for transitions. And in midlife and later life, there, we go through a lot of transitions. We change jobs or we retire or we have get divorced or our parents pass away or we become an empty nester or we go through menopause for women and andropause for men. And we have so little in the way of schools and tools and rituals and rites of passage to help people through these times. So part of what we help people do is understand how to master going through transitions in your life. Um, and so that's what we do. That's our, and our curriculum has been really popular. It was helped crafted with a bunch of university professors as well as life coaches. And uh, yeah. Well, your segue into the, what you're calling a regenerative community uh, mm -hmm. is great. I, I've been in the spa and wellness industry for 30 years and regenerative agriculture is, is a big trend uh, beyond organic. Um, yeah. You're, um, you're, combining your hospitality experience with your MEA and um, just this next stage in your life. And I know that you're not using the word senior living at all. And coming <laughs> into this industry, I hear senior living, aging services, and these terms that are just yucky. <laughs> <laughs> so let's well, talk. Yeah. Talk to yeah, me about so language. Some, yeah. Great question, Nancy. I mean, some people find the word elder uh, yucky as well. And and I really wanted help to restore some glory to, to elder, not because I think we're supposed to revere our elders. I think it's less about reverence than it is about relevance. And a modern elder is, is relevant because they understand how to apply their wisdom they may have developed over time with context because they're curious about the environments they're in. So what does that mean? So I think, first of all, I think language is hard. Let's start with the fact that we really don't have a word or phrase to describe people in that era, say from age 50 to age 75. Um, that it's not, it's, you know, it's, you're not elderly. Elderly is probably the last 10 years of your life. Um, a lot of people have a hard time with senior because, you know, do you call younger people junior? So like what's senior versus junior and senior and senior citizen just sounds so dated um, and, and active aging okay, active aging sounds good, but you don't call yourself an active ager. Um, so what I believe is that we need to restore some value to the word elder. Why? Because an elder just speaks relatively speaking, your age versus the people who you're surrounded by. You could be an elder at 45 if you're surrounded by 25-year-olds. Um, in fact, we've had at the Modern Elder Academy, you know, 15% of the people who've come here have been younger than 45 which is interesting, you know, someone, people coming to the MEA, the Modern Elder Academy at, you know, between age 30 and 45, that was sort of surprising to us. Um, so I think what we really need to do is help people understand that being an elder in, 
is going through the process of becoming an elder is just as important as going through the process of becoming an adult. And we have a piece of language that is 115 years old now called adolescent. The word adolescent did not exist. Actually, it's 117 years now. Adolescent did not exist as a word until 1904. <clears throat> so if you were 14 or 13, you'd gone through puberty, you were an adult. And that's why you went and worked in the mines. That's why you might get pregnant, might get married. And, um, and then when adolescent as a concept and a word was created in 1904, it helped people to see that adolescence was a transitional period taking you from childhood to adulthood. And it's when we created public junior high schools and high schools in a major way in the United States and child labor laws. So why not now maybe consider that, you know, between age 45 and 65, which is classically what's considered midlife, why not consider that the period of middlescence, um, a period when you're going through the, an adult version of adolescence, you're going through hormonal changes and physical changes, emotional changes that are preparing you to go from adulthood to elderhood. Um, and if we could, and then elderhood might last 30 years. If you're 65, you might be an elder in the elderhood era for you know a, a period of time that's almost as long as your adulthood. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, and the word elder is actually from Louise Aronson's research is much more positively viewed than the word old. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, so I, I agree with you on that. One of the things that I realized coming from hospitality and wellness into, quote, senior living, um, mm -hmm. is that ageism is probably the biggest problem in the industry uh, from, from the highest, from the executive director, through the staff, through the resident to resident communications, ageism and ableism are huge issues. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'd like to ask you uh, about MEA's efforts to combat ageism. I know that you have some grants and that it's, it's truly something you believe needs to be worked on. Yeah, I, I, we we do make grants to, uh, we have a variety of ways that we actually help people out. We have something called the Activist in Residence Program here at MEA in Baja when we're doing what's called sabbatical sessions, longer stays. Um, we have uh, scholarships, half of the people who have come to MEA um, for our weekly workshops, which don't start again until Thanksgiving, um, are on some form of scholarship we give them. Um, so a uh, big believer in the idea of creating socioeconomic diversity in the process of helping people to share wisdom with each other because wisdom is not taught it's shared so if you're sharing it with people who are diverse and different than you um you're probably learning more i, I do think that ageism is a, a serious problem in the united states it's probably it's it's a problem everywhere in the world and in some ways um what's happened in the era of google is google has replaced grandpa and grandma in terms of when someone wants to find something out in the old days, they'd go talk to the, the elders to learn something. Today, they'll go to Google or online. And that's true everywhere in the world. But where what's particularly true in the United States is um, we have had such a cult of youth and such a cult of beauty and of you know athleticism that the idea that you get older and your body isn't quite what it used to be is, is an indicator somehow that you're in decline overall as a human. When in fact, yes, your body does, as you get older, become not quite as limber. And, or, and of course, there's lots and lots of examples of people who don't fit this profile. But on average, this profile is correct. Your body does wear out a little bit. 
but your heart, your soul, your mind, a lot of things actually get better with time. Now, mind is sort of a, you know, mind gets better in certain ways and not in other ways. Uh, I think the heart and soul just gets better and better. So <clears throat> I think if we, if we want to look at a life on a playing field of your body, um, then that is the ultimate form of ageism. And that's part of the reason why people flock to Botox and, and uh, cosmetic surgery and things like that. And I'm not going to say that's a bad thing because I don't want to beat up on people who are trying to stay young. But if you spend all your time focusing on that, you're really missing the opportunity to build the awareness of your emotions, your heart, your, your ability to actually sort of tap into something deeper and more meaningful than just your body. So true. And coming from spa and beauty, it, it became so uh, apparent to me that uh, the, the phrases that we use and, and if somebody wants to have gray hair, there can, we consider that in the beauty industry, letting yourself go. Mm. <laughs> but it's starting to change. And I think that I just wrote a, a Wisdom Well post. So I have a daily um, a blog called Wisdom Well. And I wrote a blog post last week called, Who's Your Favorite Celebrity Eldress? Eldress is a word that was used in a Vogue magazine article to describe Frances McDormand, um, who just came out with her new movie, Nomadland. And, and she's somebody who doesn't, she's not trying to look pretty. She's, and there's so many great people out there who are saying, you know, it's time for me to just look, um, look my age and to feel really comfortable with that. And when someone owns their age, what, what we start to see, now, let me say this. Let me start by saying, easier for a man to say than a woman. Let's start with that because frankly, anti-ageism creams are often for women, not men. And in essence, anti-ageism creams are anti-women creams because they're sort of saying you as a woman are not supposed to have wrinkles. Men, not so much, not, not too much of a problem because they're the, you know, the, the silver fox. And, and so I think as a society, what we have to really recognize is that um, learning how to look your age and feel good about it is more about like owning your originality, however you want to look, um, and feeling energetic, and but also um, not bouncing off the walls. Because one of the things you do get better at as you get older is to sink into contentment as opposed to just, you know, be in pursuit of excitement all the time. So there are a lot of unexpected pleasures of aging. So you expect that um, that ageism in the United States will get better, like the Me Too movement or Black Lives Matter, that these efforts will will be fruitful. I do, I do, because actually, I'm, it's it's one of the it's really the only socially acceptable bias that still exists um, in mainstream society. We make jokes about age all the time, but it's it's actually a state of being that everybody, if they're lucky enough to live long, will actually live into. So therefore, I think what we're seeing with the baby boomer population is people saying, you know what, I'm going to own my age, um, but I'm also not going to be the same, I'm not going to live my life the same way my parents did. Um, and I'm, for example, I'm not going to live in a retirement community. I'm going to live in a regenerative community because I want to be constantly regenerating myself on, on all levels. And um, we're also going to see the, the, the workplace you know, the, the fastest growing segment of workers uh, in the workplace is, is, is not Gen X. It's not millennials. It's actually people choosing to stay in the workplace longer than age 65. 
And, and so what we're seeing is a huge growth in, and now in COVID, we're not seeing it because quite frankly, people have hunkered down. But generally speaking, pre-COVID, um, the fastest growing segment, uh, age segment in, in the workplace was actually people 65 and older, which is such a surprising thing. But it's because compared to the past, um, a, a smaller percentage of people are choosing to fully retire. Many people are going to part-time. Some people are choosing to still work full-time. Exactly. And these regenerative communities are are focused on multi-generational from the beginning. I, I assume that you are going to um, open these communities up. They yes. won't be age restricted. That's exactly right. Because, you know, why have a 55 plus, 65 plus? Something like, first of all, the senior living community is struggling because it, what's happened is people want to stay at home longer. They don't necessarily want to be in an age apartheid kind of environment where it's just people who are their, their similar age. And so why not create regenerative communities that are that don't have any definition of age, um, but they are focused on wisdom, and you can be there and choose as a forty-five-year-old you know couple with three kids that you want to live there because you want to cultivate and harvest your wisdom, and you want your kids to as well. Um, wisdom is not purely for older people; it's something you can cultivate and harvest at any age. So. Yes, it'll be intergenerational. The, the campus we're looking at um, that we can't talk about yet, the ranch we can talk about because we closed escrow, but the other campus that we're looking at, um, which hopefully we'll go into escrow on in the next few days, um, is right next door to university. So guess what? <laughs> intergenerational will be a big part of what we're going to be doing. Yeah, and Robert Kramer um, from Nick and Nexus Insight says that the the next generation of senior living will not be called senior living. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're yeah. right on the cusp of that. And as a hospitality guy, it's it's no wonder you're coming in to disrupt this industry. Uh, I'd like to talk for a minute about the five star hospitality luxury senior living that's marketed right now. Um, mm-hmm. Is that the right message? <laughs> Is is luxury the right message or, or uh, hospitality? I'm going to do everything for you. You'll oh, yeah. gonna sit back and relax, and I'm gonna have. Yeah, I don't know. It, 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 uh, is there a market of people out there who want that? Uh, for example, you know uh, the the Pritzker family um, started Hyatt, and they have is it, I think V is that the name of their uh-huh. senior living product. Yeah, yes. I mean, of course, their, their roots are hospitality, so they're gonna they're gonna absolutely play that up, and and there'll be people out there who love the idea that they're on a cruise ship the rest of their life for wherever they live, not literally being on a cruise ship, but that they're going to be served. I'm not going to say that's a bad, bad thing. What I will say is, if that means that you're becoming a couch potato and you're just expecting to basically become sedentary, both in mind, body, and spirit, that's not a good thing. Because it, that is the quick, quickest way to get to mortality, um, is, you know, is to actually turn everything off and just have people you know, taking care of you. Um, if you're at a stage in life where you need that because you don't, you don't have the capacity to take care of yourself, fine. But if you're 70 years old and in great working health and you're a prosperous person and you choose to live in a community like that and you basically stop working out, you stop going for walks, you stop using your mind, um, you don't explore your spiritual life um, because somehow you're in an, an environment that's just everything's catered to you. Then that's not good. But I actually I think senior living the, the communities are very aware of that. I think that the problem is 
often the way that many of these communities focus, they do have sometimes great speakers who come in and, and talk, and that's a great thing. And, um, but sometimes it's, you know, they have like, you know, water, you know, aquatics, you know, like workouts and they have, which is okay. It's good for your body. And they might have, um, some kind of nostalgia night, uh, or nostalgia bingo. But you know, what's really interesting is let, let's have deeper conversations. We're at a stage in our life where we can, we can handle it. So why don't we have a conversation about death? Why don't we have a conversation about, um, you know, our beliefs in religion or spirituality in a way that is curious as opposed to dogmatic? Um, because frankly, as you get older, you, asking deeper and more meaningful questions is part of the richness of what it's like to get older that, that makes, frankly, the U-curve of happiness shows that people get happier after age 50 with each passing decade. And it's partly because their life becomes deeper. Exactly. It was really shocking for me coming from hospitality. I um, I read Jill Vitale Awesome's book, Disrupting the Status Quo of Senior Living, A Mind Shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jill was actually in um, the graduate program a year before me at Cornell Hotel School uh, and mm-hmm. segued right into senior living. But what's so shocking to me is she has a chapter called How May I Harm You? <laughs> about mm-hmm. that focus on just serving someone that it doesn't allow them to become a citizen of the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure that um, your communities will will be creating community. How, how do you intend to create community? Well, creating community is so important. So um, with a thousand alums now as part of MEA, we have a, a really robust community and we have regional chapters in 23 locations around the world. Um, so people can... Can right now uh, using Zoom get together, but once uh, COVID is sort of behind us and people feel more comfortable being in person, um, they can do it in person. So we have communities. We also have our cohorts. We have 16 to 20 people in a cohort that comes to MEA, and we also have eight people in our MEA online program uh, that happens. And those cohorts stay on way beyond your time at the workshop and uh, or on the online course. So, um, and then with the MEA regenerative communities, it's all about community. So um, purpose, wellness, and community are the three pillars that Dr. Phil Pizzo at Stanford has shown that in midlife and beyond, people are most in need of. Um, And it's often because those are the three things that people actually lose when they retire. Um, They lose purpose because work has so much to do with people's sense of purpose. They lose community because their work has so much to do with their social life and the people they spend most of their waking hours with. And then they lose wellness partly because when they lose the discipline, discipline and structure of work, they actually, instead of using that time to get more fit, often they use that they are less disciplined. So they work out less um, or they exercise less. So they are less, they're more sedentary. And so community is a big piece of that. Um, we like to think of our program as being uh, focused on social wellness which is not just personal wellness, but it's how a group of people that are part of your peer group um, help you help become healthier just by being um, in that group. And that's what we um, talk about. The Global Wellness Institute defined wellness communities um, Mm -hmm. like Serenby, which I'm aware of. Yep, yep. Um, This this sounds very much like that, Um, Mm -hmm. just a purpose-built community. It's, It's not really about just 
the aging population. So I know you're curious always and always moving and growing. What gets you most excited these days? The regenerative communities, for sure. I mean, I, I really, the idea that we could actually revolutionize and be and become, you know, MEA could, and our regenerative communities could be the 21st century, what uh, Del Webb's Sun City was to the 20th century. Um, you know, because retirement communities were sort of defined by Sun City, which opened outside of Phoenix uh, in 1960. And so I would love it if we could sort of create the next generation that's most appropriate for the this next generation of people who want to figure out how to live in an intentional community without feeling like they're a hippie. Because the term intentional community came from the boomer generation and uh, as a place where you're going to actually live, but it was sort of a hippie thing. But just like yoga and meditation were a hippie thing a long time ago and went mainstream, I actually think regenerative communities and the idea of living in an intentional community where there's an ethos that helps define why you're living there, just like Serenby, um, is a thing for the future. And, or actually, frankly, a thing for the present and the future. Well, I can't wait until you can release more information on it. It's all wrapped up and secret right now. That's right. <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough for being here with us today. You're such an icon in so many industries and um, just an all-around all great guy. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. I, 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 you know, honored to be with you. You've been listening to the Glowing Older Podcast.